all, uh, all great cinema, movies that are worth seeing, or, or movies that have great themes. And uh, one of those movies that always is a great theme, is, is, is fun to see, is the theme where there's evil that's taken over, or there's oppression, and then the hero comes. And, and, he, and he comes in the midst of the darkness, the oppression, to, to rescue those who are hopeless and helpless. But when the good comes, there's conflict. And that's what the movie's about. It's about the conflict. It's about good that overcomes evil. Well, we certainly know that we live in a world where there's a lot of oppression. There's a lot of sorrow. Uh, we see oppression in our own lives. And so what we've been learning from, from the Gospels is that God in his mercy has entered into the situation that we find ourselves in a world that constantly is in turmoil. In our own lives that are, that are constantly in turmoil, our marriages. But God in his mercy, he's entered in. And because he's entered in, because there's real evil, there is real conflict. And that's what we've been seeing in the book of Mark. Mark tells us that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, the son of God who, who's entered into the darkness. And when light hits the darkness, the darkness fights back. And that's what we've been seeing through the book. Is we've been looking at the person of Christ. That he's the son of God. This is not a religion. It is the religion. The triune God and the second person of the Trinity is born of a woman to enter into our pain, our sorrow, and the ultimate oppression of our sin and our death. And so throughout the book, we've been seeing conflict, right? Well, now, the last several weeks since I've been gone, we, we're at the last week of the life of Christ. And now everything, the conflict, is coming at a rapid pace. I know, John, you preached uh, uh, the last couple of weeks. Matt, you preached. And in each one of your sermons, what's happening is he enters in as the, as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. There is the status quo that is coming against him. We've been sitting with the Pharisees. Now, we're, today, we're going to sit with the Sadducees. And it's over this whole business about destiny. About the resurrection of the dead, which they did not believe in. Which Jesus very clear, clearly says, you're wrong. So let's look at God's word and see what we can learn from this and how this can apply to our lives. We believe this is God's word and therefore it is printed there in the bulletin. Sadducees came to him <clears throat> who say there is no resurrection. They asked him a question saying, uh, teacher Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, then he must take a man's brother, uh, take the widow, and raise up the offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, and leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. Now, in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason that you're wrong? Because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. 
For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in earth, angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, are, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So you're quite wrong. Now this is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's ask him to apply the word to our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we have your word. Your word is true. And yet, Lord, apart from your Holy Spirit, quickening your word, illumining us, regenerating us, we can't quite make it apply. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to the truths of these scriptures, the importance of thinking about everlasting life, our destiny, to move us away from the trivial things in our lives, those things that are distractions, the things that make us petty people versus Christ-centered people. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you today that your spirit would work in their lives, that they might hear and understand the gospel and rest in Christ. And Father, for us who are believers who get distracted so easily, would you cause us to understand the significance of thinking daily about what it means to be united to Christ and to be seated with him in the heavenlies so that we might live our days full of meaning and purpose. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Perhaps you've played the game Trivial Pursuit. I don't know if it's still popular. Uh, it was a game that was started in 1979. Some Canadians started it. And uh, became, uh, it kind of reached its height, the popularity around 1984. I think 22 million games were sold in 1984. And basically, uh, what Trivial Pursuit is, is it rewards uh, people who know random things. Right? And especially if you're up to date on pop culture. Like if you were 21 years old and you played the 1984 version of Trivial Pursuit, you'll probably lose. And so, but I started thinking about the word. And, and words have meaning. Christ is the word, so words have meaning. And so I looked up the word uh, trivial. And it, acts, uh, it actually comes from the Latin word trivium which tri means three, right? The Trinity. And via, which means road. And according to this definition, it is the meeting place of three roads, especially at a place of public resort. The publicness of such a place also gave the word a pejority sense that we express in the phrase, the gutter as in his manners were formed in the gutter. Eventually, the Latin word trivialis uh, was replaced by the word trivial in the English in 1589 and eventually meant those things of little importance or significance. In other words, uh, trivial pursuit, when we think about it, it's, it's knowing a lot about nothing. 
And we, and we all do that to a certain extent. I can tell you, I do Trivial Pursuit. Mike Miner, y'all know who Mike Miner is? If you're a Braves fan, you know. John, you know. He pitched about a four-hitter last night. No runs. And I do that a lot. So I, I'm not saying that there's anything ultimately wrong in and of itself of trivial things. But you see, there are other questions that we need to be asking which are much more important than trivial things. In fact, all philosophers will tell you that there are four ultimate questions that every worldview must deal with, whether you're Christian, Hindu, liberal, conservative, whatever you may be. And here they are. What is the best weight loss program out there? That's number one. Who's going to win the World Series? Who's your hairdresser? And where should I put my investments? Those are the four mate. No, I'm just teasing, okay. Now, the, the, the four questions are this. Origin, right? We've talked about this. Where did I come from? Meaning, why am I here? What is my point of being here? Morality, why should I do or not do the things I do? And destiny. Where is my life going to be beyond this life? And every worldview has to answer those questions, and really for it to be appropriate, they all have to hook up and they all have to make sense uh, together. Now what we're going to look at today is just one of those questions. And that's the question about destiny. What happens to me when I die? And what we're going to see here in our text is that the Sadducees were those who didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed that the destiny was, this is it. This life is all there is. And when you die, that is it. And we're going to look at this, but let me say this. Uh, your view of destiny, destiny and what you think about what's going to happen deeply impacts how you're going to live your life. You see, your view of life and what is going to happen absolutely impacts how you live your life in the day and in the moment. I mean, how are you living your life? So here's the question. What do you think about when you think about your life beyond the trivial? I had two weeks in the mountains to study. And it made me realize as I studied and began to read the scriptures in ways that I'm not able to sometimes when I'm here of how it puts all the things that I worry about, all the things that I think about, even as your pastor, and it puts them in perspective. And so there's three things that I want us to see from our text uh, today. And the first is this. I want us to look at what their view of destiny was. And then I want us to see how Jesus points out that they're wrong in their view. They're, wrong, they're just wrong about their thoughts about what happens to us when we die. And then the last thing I want us to see is how do, does Jesus des- describe destiny? He talks about heaven and what heaven's going to be like, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. So the first thing to see is this. We see their view of destiny. The Sadducees' view of destiny, and we see it in verse 18. And the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. 
That's their view. There is no resurrection that, that when a man dies, that's it. He's done. The end. Now, of course, if you say that is your view of destiny, then, of course, that begs the question on the other three questions of origin and especially meaning and morality. Now, to appreciate the implications uh, of this view, it's important to know who the Sadducees were. You always hear about the Pharisees, right? Uh, Well, they were two religious groups who were at the same time with Jesus Christ. They developed about the same time, about 200 years B.C., And they became the religious leaders of that day. The Pharisees were those who believed in eternal life. They were the ones who believed uh, like Jesus in eternal life. But the Sadducees were were not of that persuasion. They were really a minority that were there in Israel at the time. The Sadducees were those who were people that were aristocrats. Uh, They believed the Bible, but they didn't believe all the Bible. They only believed the Pentateuch. But they didn't believe the rest of the Bible. Uh, They were the aristocracy. They were the ones who were in power. They were friends with the Romans. They were friends with the Herodians. They were the ones who were the high priests. In fact, uh, Matt, I think you were preaching about the the clearing out of the... the, the, uh, uh, those who were selling in, in the, uh, the temple. Well, they were the ones that controlled that. They controlled the money that went into the temple. Now, why is this important to see? Well, because when Jesus comes and he begins to teach on the resurrection, it begins to upset the status quo. Things are set for them. Everything is going as it has been going for millennium. They find themselves in the position of power. And one thing that they agreed with the Pharisees is that they hated Jesus because he he was upsetting the status quo. But he also upsets the status quo with the Pharisees. Because you see, the Pharisees, they did believe in eternal life. They did believe uh, that there was an everlasting life. But where they disagreed with Jesus is that they believed it was through your performance. That it's not by grace, it's not by mercy, but it's by what you do. And so they had created among themselves, both the Sadducees and and the Pharisees, a reputation among the people. The Pharisees weren't considered just about the worldly things. They were considered about the world to come and that they themselves would be masters of their own destiny by their own good works. Now, why is this important to see, our view of destiny? Because, you see, it upsets the way things are in our lives. Let me point how this, how this in your own life. Think about how you live your life right now. You're, you're a professing Christian. You go to church, you, you read your Bible. When you're a member of a conservative church. But basically it has no impact on your life. You're still petty. You still seek to justify yourself. Um... You like things the way they are. You don't like to think about the poor across the street. You don't like to think about things that maybe aren't right in your life that maybe the reason you struggle with your daughter or your son or your mother, your father, your husband, maybe the real reason is because you're not so good 
Maybe it's because you're not understanding the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. And so when people come in and start talking about eternal life, or people come in and they're living their lives as though they live for a world to come, not based on their performance, but on the grace of God in Jesus Christ, it upsets things. You understand that? When you actually meet a believer who understands that their ultimate destiny is heaven. Why? Because Christ is the resurrection for them today. You understand? It's not just I believe in the resurrection. I believe in Jesus Christ. But basically I need to be good and I need to have a quiet time. I need to share my faith. I need to do this. And then you hate it. But you see, when resurrection power comes, it busts up the status quo. You understand what I'm saying here? And so the Sadducees were upset that Jesus is bringing a view of reality that is contrary to theirs, and it messes them up in their status quo. And so he makes the Pharisees mad, the religious people who believe in the resurrection and believe in performance, and he upsets those who don't believe in the resurrection. But let me make a way of application here before I come to the next point and, and, and see how Jesus responds to this. Do you think a lot about trivial stuff? I mean, I, I mean, I like the Braves. I like Georgia. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I want Georgia to win. Uh, I want, uh, I like the fish. But on the other hand, is it possible that your whole life is around all those things that don't matter? They don't matter. I mean, you got your hobbies. I've often wondered, how do people get in hobbies? I'll tell you why people get into hobbies. It's because it's a distraction. Uh, the reason we pursue our careers, and there's a good thing about pursuing a career. I want a good doctor. I don't want a bad doctor. But if a doctor's identity is in being a doctor, or, or if the mother's identity is being a mother, or if your identity is in your wife and whether she loves you or not, or your husband loves you or not, then, then you're looking at everything at that horizontal level, and there's no power in your life, and things rule you. You understand that? Your wife rules you. Your husband rules you. Somebody, what they did 25 years ago, still rules you and dominates your life, and there's no power in that. You see, your view of destiny, what do you think about? Well, Jesus, secondly, shows why they're wrong in their belief about destiny. Uh, notice uh, what's going on here. Uh, they give an example, and I'm going to come back to this example later, about, hey, listen, here's the Levite law. And according to the Old Testament, if a woman wasn't married, she, I mean, she, she's married and her husband dies, but she has no children, she would marry the brother-in-law. Now, why would she do that? Well, the reason that God set that up is to protect her, to give the name, a, that, that, to give her an inheritance so that that name might persist. And so the question ends up being, well, if she marries seven times and never has any children, and she goes to heaven, and they've all died and gone before her. Now, which one is she going to be married to? And of course, Jesus' uh, response to that 
Uh, number one is he just says, you're wrong about the resurrection. You're using this conundrum uh, the way so many people, when you get in a conversation with them about the scriptures, and they go, well, doesn't the Bible say somewhere X, Y, and Z? But there's no real desire to know. There's a desire to basically push things away and to continue to remain in your view of reality. You understand what I'm saying? And so what Jesus does to show them that they're wrong, and he says they're wrong, is he says two things. Number one, you don't know the scriptures. And number two, you don't know the power of God. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you, those two things go hand in hand. Well, first off, he tells them that they don't understand the scriptures. And what's really very, I think, neat about what Jesus does here, what's very cool about what he does, is he doesn't quote Isaiah. He doesn't quote Jeremiah. He doesn't quote the Psalms. He wouldn't have quoted uh, first, uh, Second Samuel that we looked at today because they didn't believe in it. You understand? They only believed the Pentateuch. And they took that literally. But they believed that the Pentateuch didn't show the resurrection of the dead. So what does Jesus do? Jesus takes him to the Pentateuch. He says, okay, I'll show you from the Pentateuch that you're wrong. And what does he do? He points them to Moses in the burning bush. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6 is what he's quoting here. When Jesus says, the dead... As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So he says, okay, I'll take you at your own, your, your, on your own basis. But what does he do? He points to the, the passage in the burning bush that very clearly says that God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And what kind of covenant, what kind of commitment would it be if God were the God of the dead? But he uses the present tense. And so basically Jesus uses the scriptures to point to them that they're wrong about the scriptures. He could have gone to other passages in the book of Genesis. But he focuses on this. Because it's in the same passage where Jesus says, uses the same name for himself, that I am, uh, that I am. But Jesus uses the word of God. Now, let me just say this. You can't pick and choose what parts of the scripture that you like. Jesus Christ, who is the word of God, submits to his father on our behalf. He didn't throw out the hard parts and only keep the good because all the hard parts related to him. That the scriptures were about him. That he ultimately is the Passover lamb. That he is the son of God raised from the dead. So let me ask you, before I talk about the power, does the word of God matter to you? To read it, to know it. To study it. And I'm, I don't mean this in any legalistic sense. Reading the Bible, the Pharisees read the Bible and they missed it, right? They believed in both the Pentateuch and the rest of the Old Testament. But they missed it. I'm not saying that, but I will tell you this. That you just can't pick and choose what you want in the Bible. 
A sign of your belief is your submission to the Word of God, even as Jesus Christ submitted. So he says, number one, you don't know the Word of God. And, and guys, I'm just telling you, if all, all you're ever saying is, doesn't the Bible say somewhere? So don't say that to me, okay? Because I'll know you don't know your Bible. You know what you're talking about. And what you'll do is you'll use the Bible to justify why you believe and think the way you think. Just like the Sadducees did. Because it fit the way they wanted to live their lives. Well, the second thing he says is, not only do you not know the Word of God, but you also don't know the power of God. And what is the power of God? The power of God is that he is able to raise the dead. The power of God is the resurrection of Christ, that God is able to do that. But the reason he is saying is that you don't believe the Word of God in the power of God is because it has not worked in your own life. So the question ends up being, is the power of the resurrection presently at work in you? You see, Jesus doesn't say, uh, I believe in the resurrection. In John chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection. And a man or a woman who has been raised from the spiritual dead, been converted, raised from the dead, they now look forward to that day. To, to a Christian who's really been born of the Spirit, been raised from the spiritual dead, now what they look forward to is a life eternal with Christ. What has begun will be completed. Do you know that resurrection power in your life? Do you know the Word of God do you know the realities that you're going to be with Christ one day? Now, let me tell you, if you believe that, that begins to impact every moment of, of every day of your life. I'm just telling you that if you live in grudges, if you have no real interest in the resurrection, or, okay, heaven's one day, uh, okay, I'll think about that later, but right now I'm going to harbor my bitterness this year, then it is a great sign that the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit uniting you to Christ presently, right now, that you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, is suspect. Well, so we see their view of destiny. Jesus tells them that why they're wrong about it. But, but notice, in closing, notice what he, 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 he talks about, what heaven's going to be like. He tells them why they're wrong. Excuse me. <laughs> he tells them they're, they're wrong because that there won't be marriage in heaven because we will be like the angels. Now, you know what? To be honest with you, you read that, does that sound exciting to you? Oh, so we'll you know, have little wings have our golden harps, and we'll sing uh, praise songs. While some of y'all are kind of going, it's getting close to 12 o'clock. I'm about ready to leave. Well, let me tell you why there's not going to be marriage in heaven is there's no need for procreation in heaven. The, the elect will be there. But here's really what he's saying. And it's hard to grasp this if the work of grace hasn't begun in your life. You see, one of the reasons that marriage is so great is because there is this person who is going to complete you. That's the idea, right? That one true love that we seek for. 
that person that when we become united to them, we live happily ever after. Isn't that what they say? This person who completes me, the one who I find my identity, the reason that my life exists, and that's a good thing. That's why God gave us marriage. In fact, Mary Beth and I talked about this. We were together for a week. We've been married 35 years. And I can honestly say, and I'm not trying to make some of you upset about this, but I, I think I could live with her forever. I, 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 now, she didn't say anything back to me about that. <laughs> but because Mary Beth and I, by God's grace, are one. But, but let me tell you, one of the reasons I think that our marriage has been strong is because we were married before we got married. She married a man who's God named Jesus Christ. I was married to Christ. We came to Christ. And one thing I knew that my wife never could do or never could do or can do if she knew me the way Jesus Christ knows me, she would be sorely disappointed. And Mary Beth sitting on the front row, I'm sure if I knew you the way you know you and the way Jesus knows you, I'd probably be disappointed. Not as much. And so here's what he's saying. That as powerful as this thing is that God has given us between a husband and wife, that gives our lives meaning and purpose, our true identity is in Jesus Christ. And you know, when I think about life, I, I enjoy my marriage. I, I, I enjoy my children. I enjoy so many things. But nothing compares to the joy of knowing that you're one with Jesus. That he knows me. And he allows me to preach the gospel. Why? Because he died for me. He took all my sin. He entered into my darkness. He takes it upon myself. And he takes it upon those who are here today who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith and trust in him, you become one with him. And what begins in this life that we will represent here in, in, the, in the, the communion here in a moment is only heightened in heaven. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I know I've said this before, but I close on this. He, he said, you know, he said, that, um, he said that in this life, we all hide from each other, don't we? You on the second row? Over there? In the back? Over here? We all hide. And to the, to the degree that we feel like we're loved and accepted, we can open up, we can share. But he says this, we're all hiding until we go to heaven. And when we go to heaven, we'll be glorified. And we'll become completely who we're supposed to be in heaven. Let me ask you, what, what are you thinking about these days? Are you thinking about that? Are you thinking about your ultimate identity being in heaven? When you die, it's not a threat. It's the completion of what's already begun. Or is your day constantly spent in the pursuit of that which is ultimately perishing? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that he has conquered our great enemy through entering into the darkness of this world and uh, living the life that we don't live and dying the death we deserved. 
And that through his resurrection and our union with him by the Holy Spirit, that we have a new identity, our identity in Jesus Christ, and that he's making all things new. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day when we'll be complete and we'll be glorified. And, Father, I pray for those who are here today that they would consider what they think about, what it is they pursue. And, Lord, if it's not things eternal, that you would turn them to Christ. And they would put their faith and trust in you. And we ask these things in your name.